Good morning. It is Sunday, December 10th, 2023. And over the last 24 to 36 hours, Cardinal Wilton Gregory decided to say some really on its face ridiculous and revealing things about the real reason for eliminating the Latin mass. And he used some very strident language. And I'm going to, for once, just give you what he said without filters. And we'll cross our fingers here that our hosts will not uh, take away (laughs) all the benefits I get on YouTube for it. But as he does use a little bit of spicy language for it, and he does so in this grandfatherly, aw shucks, smiling at you kind of way of doing it. And I've got the video of it. I'll show it to you. Before we do that, I'm going to start with first a little bit of good news, such as it is. It's not huge news or anything, but it's a little bit of good news. And then I will, um, before we get to what Cardinal Gregory said, give you what the church has traditionally said about tradition, because the one thing I've seen missed in all the commentary on what Cardinal Gregory has said is he makes some astonishing assumptions and claims about tradition. So we will begin here with a bit of good news. We'll go to what the church has actually taught about tradition and the development of tradition, and then we'll go to Cardinal Gregory. So let's begin with this bit of good news which comes to us by way of Michael Haynes, who is the LifeSite News reporter and on his Twitter account. It says the Vatican has unveiled its 2023 nativity scene in St. Peter's Square. For its 800th anniversary of, of original crib made by St. Francis in the Grotto and Greccio. Previous years had some really odd ones. Um, this one is more traditional. So here, take a look. I don't know how well you can see these on YouTube, but as you can see, that actually looks like a nativity scene, doesn't it? I know. I am as surprised as you are. Some close-ups. The Virgin Mary looks like an acceptable rendition of the Virgin Mary. St. Joseph looks like what you would expect a rendition of St. Joseph to look like. Then you have St. Francis of Assisi, who looks the way you would expect a depiction of him to look. We get more. Again, I have no problems with these. It's a pleasant surprise. (laughs) And I bring you that as just a bit of good news to start the day, because this is... You know, it's a the Advent season leading into Christmas should not be a period of stress. Please offer some prayers for Dory. She has what looks like a spinal issue, day three of it. So please offer some prayers for her uh, quick recovery. Um, Somebody in the chat suggests a saint can be invoked for that. Um, But yes, so as we go into this, we begin with the good news, of course. And now we go right over here to... I'm just going to use the SSPX website for this because, again, I have no problems with the SSPX. Their job has been to preserve tradition in the face of novelty, chaos, and all sorts of other negative things going on in the church done by the hands of modernists and now neo-modernists. So they have an article from their website called The True Notion of Tradition. And it's an abridged text of a French discourse given by Bishop Bernard Tissier de Malaret at Versailles given on May 19th in 1995. Bishop Tissier is one of the, Bernard Tissier is one of the bishops consecrated by Archbishop Lefebvre. And here he gives us what the true notion of tradition is. It's worth your time to preface this look at what Cardinal Gregory has said by giving you what the church actually says about tradition. So let's go over with the true notion of tradition. Modernist Rome has declared us schismatics because we hold a supposedly false notion of tradition. 
I'm going to show that it is the faithful of tradition who have the true notion of tradition, and consequently that it is those who declare us schismatics, the neo-modernists, who have a false evolutionary notion of tradition, which they call, quote, living tradition. Tradition is essentially immutable, unchangeable. That, however, does not prevent it from being living. We will show in what manner, nor from undergoing a homogenous development. To begin, let's look at the first point. Tradition is essentially immutable. Cardinal Below, under Pope Pius XI, explained this in a work entitled De Immutabilate Traditionis Contra Modernum Heresum Evolutionismi, or in not broken Latin like I just uttered, Concerning the Immutability of Sacred Tradition, published in 1929. There is no inter, there is no invention or opinion. It is the most classic doctrine of the church. Tradition does not change. In fact, the word tradition comes from the Latin charere, which means to transmit. Tradition is the transmission without change of that which has been deposited. If in the course of the transmission there is a change, then indeed there is a breach of faith. There is a falsification of the deposit transmitted. We see this, for instance, if the transmission of popular tradition, such as folklore, but fidelity is so much more important in the transmission of the supernatural deposit of divine revelation. That is to say, the, tr the treasure of truths revealed by the prophets, our Lord Jesus Christ, and ending with the apostles. The revealed deposit is completed at the time of the death of the last apostle. St. Pius X in the decree Lamentabili in 1907, which I have in full on my channel, by the way, if you want to find it, condemns the following, quote, Revelation constituting the object of the Catholic faith was not completed with the apostles. That is a condemned statement. The proposition was condemned because it meant that there could have been other later revelations which could have been added to the revelation given to the apostles. The magisterium of the church has solely the role of preserving and faithfully explaining this deposit of revelation. This is what the First Vatican Council says in the decree Pastor Eternus. Quote, The Holy Ghost has not been promised to the successors of Peter, that under his revelation they might make known a new doctrine, but in order that with his assistance they sacredly preserve and faithfully set forth the revelation transmitted by the apostles. That is to say, the deposit of the faith. Pope Pius IX had many years before condemned the error of progression in matters of doctrine held by those who said doctrine must evolve as human knowledge advances in his encyclical Cripluribus. Quote, It is by as a great fraud that these enemies of divine revelation, who bestow the highest praises on human progress, wish, with a truly reckless and sacrilegious audacity, to bring it, the progressive error, into the Catholic religion, as if religion was not the work of God, but that of men, or was some philosophic discovery that human methods could perfect. Let us hold firmly to the essential immutability of divine tradition. It is a deposit to faithfully transmit, and that's that. Later, we will explain in what way there is a certain progress, but this principle must be clearly established and firmly held. Otherwise, we cannot continue. Then he goes into what actual living tradition, the proper Catholic understanding of living tradition is. It says, living, tradition is living because each of us lives in it. This essential immutability does not prevent tradition from being living. The modernists speak of living tradition. We also speak of the living tradition, but not in the same way as we are going to see. Here's what we understand by living tradition. That tradition is immutable, does not prevent it from being living. That is to say that Catholics of yesterday, today, and tomorrow live in it. Tradition is living because one lives in it. We're going to see the life and development of divine tradition first as it concerns the individual, then as it manifests itself in the church considered as a whole. It's very important to make a distinction between these two things. Tradition is the revealed deposit. What is in the revelation? Essentially, the revelation is the intimate life of God, which is communicated to us by grace and by the sacraments. 
The intimate life of God is God displaying himself in three divine persons, and the entirety of this life is communicated to us by grace, the sacraments, and by our Lord Jesus Christ. That is the essential core of the Christian revelation, the very terms of this deposit one must keep. Living tradition is the same as saying that one lives the life of God, that one is imbued by this divine life, that one lives it by the intellect, by the will, by faith, by hope, by charity, and by all the virtues. Now, this Christian life, this life of tradition in our hearts, persons, and surroundings, is a participation in the immutable life of God. God does not change. The blessed in heaven contemplate the immutable God in eternity, which fills them with an immense joy for all eternity. They are delighted to contemplate the same and unchanging God forever, the source of an inconceivable and inexpressible life. This is their entire rejoicing, and nevertheless, they are fixed in the immutable. See then the error of the progressists, who wish that this would not be constant change. No, the spiritual life is the most unchangeable. Look at the saints in their contemplation. They are fixed on God, and that is sufficient for them and nourishes their lives. I'm not speaking of, of their revelations possible on earth with their body almost suspended. I'm speaking of the soul who, while conducting his ordinary activities, is completely immersed and transformed in God, firm and unchangeable. We understand well that the more we live this tradition, the more we will be fixed in the immutable who is God, and the further we will be removed from the evolution of perpetual change. For the modern evolutionists, on the contrary, life consists of perpetual change. It is very difficult th for them to conceive that the highest life which already exists here on earth for the saints for the contemplatives and for those who devote themselves to prayer and meditation consists of the contemplation of the unchangeable, and yet thus it is. But this life of tradition, this contemplation of the unchangeable, should nevertheless progress within each one of his faithful. There is a progression, a progressive deepening in the course of the spiritual life. One, first, there is a development in the object of faith. The faithful should not only learn more and more about the scope of all the revealed truths, but all the consequences of the revealed truth in practical life, such as the consequences of the divinity of Jesus Christ for social and political life, etc. Two, there is also development in the intensity of the faith, in the extent that we live this revealed truth more vigorously. See the Summa. Great saints have a deeper faith because they adhere more steadfastly to God and his revelation. Three, there is also another development as regards the individual. This is the advancement in the power of faith when the Christian submits his entire life to the rule of faith. As sacred scripture says, the man, the just man lives by the faith. Finally, individual, there is also development in the fruits of the faith. A living faith is accompanied by charity and the entire retinue of the infused virtues and gifts of the Holy Ghost, whose intrinsic law is to grow without ceasing, provided that the tendencies toward vice are fought. The faith is then the root of the progress of each Catholic towards holiness. It is undeniable that living tradition exists in each individual, provided there has been authentic transmission, and this tradition has been increased within the individual by the deepening and fruitfulness of the faith. And I will get back to this article after we take a look at what Cardinal Gregory had to say, because Cardinal Gregory has a very odd notion of tradition. He talks about starting new traditions. And you've just heard the, the Bishop Tissier describe how he just repeated what the popes have taught, what the magisterium of the church has taught prior to Vatican II, about tradition, and the tradition is not imposed. You don't start new traditions in the church, not in keeping with our concept of sacred tradition. So let me check in the, uh, the chat here for just a second, because I did ask somebody to put a, uh, for one of our people in the chat who asked for prayers a, for a specific saint. I want to see if anybody, um, anybody actually put one in there, and then we'll just go on there. Corey says she slept in the back brace. Um, yeah, again, please offer uh, offer prayers for her. And if you are um, 
if you have a uh, saint that you would think would be good for invoking verb, please let's please put it in the live chat. Good morning to YouTube user. That's an interest. That's a <laughs> the most generic name I've ever heard. But you're a member of the channel, so it must work. Uh, good morning to you all. So let's go to um, let's go to check in with Cardinal Gregory. You'll see why I have the thumbnail that I have. You know when uh, Pope Paul the Sixth uh, instituted the new ritual tradition, he uh, he made. He made a, an exception for older priests, and don't forget, he was one of the first in Rome to celebrate the new, the new mass, the Pope himself. And he made an exception. He said, and I don't remember exactly the age, to some of the older priests who, you know, it would have been just too much for them. Uh, they had celebrated the, uh, the mass, the Tridentine mass for 60 years. He, he made a, uh, an exception for them, uh, but it was his desire, his intent, I, I think, to say, when that generation goes, then everyone will be in the new, uh, the new mass. Tradition dies um, a slow death, sometimes a bloody death. There's a book, a liturgical history book by the name... Uh, by the author Clauser, and he said that 200 years after Trent, there were still places that were celebrating the pre-Trenton Mass. So it, it took that long. I think what Pope Francis is trying to do with uh, Custodes Traditionis is to say, look, there can be the celebration in limited places. So here in the Archdiocese, we have it in three places. And that was one of the, the regulations. It can't be in a parish mass, in a parish church. It has to be in a chapel. So we have it both. Uh, we have it in the south, uh, in one of our parishes, in one of the parishes that has a chapel. We have it at the... Uh, the monastery uh, of the uh, the Holy Land, and it's uh, in a parish uh, with a chapel in Montgomery. He said any priest that uh, wishes to celebrate that has to write to the bishop and say, I accept the liturgical reforms. I'm not fighting the liturgical reforms, but I'd like to be able to make myself available to celebrate under these conditions. That's for priests who are already priests. Anyone who is not yet ordained but would like to learn to celebrate has to write to Rome. So the, the Holy Father is trying to complete what Paul VI began. That is to put one ritual, uh, the, the new rite, as the do dominant rite, but with, with exceptions, um, modest exceptions. Now, I have a doctorate in liturgy. When I came in, uh, to the Diocese of Belleville, my first diocese, 
across the river from St. Louis. The, uh, I inherited this tradition because of Ecclesia, Di, Ecclesia Die, which Paul II, or which John Paul II had uh, instituted as a way of responding to Archbishop Lefebvre's schism. He said you can celebrate it under certain circumstances. So Belleville had one, one Sunday a month in a parish in downtown Belleville, the Tridentine Mass could be celebrated. When I came, there was a, there was a parish on, in uh, Cahokia, Illinois, right on, the, uh, right on the Mississippi, Holy Family. It has a big modern church, but it kept its ancient church. I established it there every Sunday. And when I went to Atlanta, there was a, a parish, St. Francis de Sales in Mapleton, a suburb. It was given over to a, a group of priests. Every, uh, every sacrament was celebrated there. I never bothered it. When I came here, it was celebrated. Cardinal Hickey instituted it here in 88 in three places. And then all of a sudden it was growing and it, it was in eight places. So I went back to the Hickey number, one in the north, one in the city, one in the south. Um, why? Because that's the church's liturgy. We, we don't, you know, if you want to belong to a different ritual family, you can be Ruthenian, you can be Maronite, you can be Melkite, you can, but the Roman rite, has one dominant right, and Francis is trying to make that the official response to the Second Vatican Council's Sacrosanctum Concilium. Um, it, it's not forbidden, but it's limited. Few thoughts. First, I not one usually to critique somebody else for their pronunciation of Latin. My Latin is terrible, but man, he's worse than I am. That's for somebody with a theology doctorate. That's impressive to say the least. But two, he has a very novel, not Catholic understanding of what tradition is. He keeps talking about starting a new tradition and imposing new traditions and inheriting this tradition as if tradition was a relative thing that it changed from diocese to diocese. And certainly there might be what we'd call folklore kinds of traditions that would be different per diocese. For instance, um, I live just a few miles from the, the shrine of, the, of the, the National Catholic Shrine of the Infant Jesus of Prague, located in Prague, Oklahoma. Spelled the same way as Prague, but over the course of time, the pronunciation of the city's name changed to a much more colloquial American way of saying it. And they have their own cultural traditions there, but they don't conflict with the faith or try to supersede the faith's traditions. And they certainly don't try to steer sacred tradition in a different way. And that's not what that's not what he's talking about. He's talking about the liturgy as if it was something that could be imposed. There's another error he makes in that that speech, and that is that that Saint Pius V issued. Quo primum, 
And in Quo Primum, St. Pius V was putting an end to new liturgies. That is a historic fact. He invokes, he never quite comes out and says it, but he does repeat the spirit of the same error we keep seeing repeated over and over again by the neo-modernists. And that error is that St. Pius V created the Tridentine Mass, the traditional Latin Mass, and that before that there were as a different form of the liturgy. That's not true. What had happened was that there were priests and bishops in various Western dioceses designing and making their own liturgies. Some religious orders had made their own liturgies. And what Quo Primum did was end that practice. If a, if a Roman form of the liturgy was less than 200 years old at the time of the issuing of Quo Primum, it was done away with, banned, gone. So that's why there's a Dominican rite of liturgy, because it was more than 200 years old at the time of Quo Primum. The same with the Carmelite uh, variation of the Roman liturgy and a few other things. What Quo Primum did was ban Novus Ordos, New Orders of the Mass. That's what it did. It ended that practice. And depending who you ask, because this is a hotly debated point of contention in traditional theological circles, it may or may not have prohibited a future pope from creating a new form of the Mass. And I say may or may not have because people debate that point. It would have been probably wise for Paul VI to issue a directive explicitly repealing quo primum that would have been within his right to do before issuing the new mass. Thus, this point of debate would not even be happening now, but that's where we are. Cardinal Gregory says that the, makes it sound like Pius V, Pope St. Pius V issued a new form of the mass, which is not what happened. He imposed the Roman, the, the right of Rome, essentially, with a few minor adjustments on the church universally in the West, banning newer forms of the mass and then saying nobody else could issue a new form of the mass afterwards. That's what he did. Often Quo Primum is invoked by the modernists and neo-modernists in a dishonest way to say that he gave us a new mass. So Colby in the chat says that Father Gregory has said, said Pius V did exactly that. Yes. And I have, I have uh, his, I have a couple of years ago, I put up his clip of quote primum, talking about quote primum on the channel. If you want to hear that side of it, others will disagree. There's been some other responses to this since it came out, though, that I think is worth looking over before we get back to the tradition of tradition from the SSPX. And I'm just going to go here with uh, what Dr. Peter Kwasniewski put up on Twitter. He said, Cardinal Gregory claims priests were introducing the traditional Latin mass where the faithful never asked for, because that is a claim Cardinal Gregory made in that clip, but fails to mention that Benedict XVI's position that the old rite is a treasure for all Catholics. Here's what Samorum Pontificum's implementation document, Universae Ecclesia of 2011, stated. He says here in the third, in the third line, the Holy Father, having recalled the concern of the sovereign pontiffs, in caring for the sacred liturgy and in their recognition of liturgical books, reaffirms the traditional principle recognized from time immemorial and necessary to be maintained into the future that, quote, each particular church must be in accord with the universal church, not only regarding the doctrine of the faith and sacramental signs, but also as to the usage universally handed down by apostolic and unbroken tradition. These are to be maintained not only so that errors may be avoided, but also that the faith may be passed on in its integrity since the church's rule of prayer, Lex Orandi, corresponds to her rule of belief, Lex Credendi. And then he continues. 
Samorum Pontificum constitutes an important expression of the magisterium of the Roman pontiff and as the aim of offering to all the faithful the Roman liturgy in the Usus Antiqua, considered as a precious treasure to be preserved, promoting reconciliation at the heart of the church. And then he, he gives a bit of himself of, of a pitch here saying, it was for this reason that I wrote in 2019 an article entitled, Should a Priest Introduce the Usus Antiqua to a Congregation that Doesn't Request It? I defy anyone who still holds the Catholic faith to refute the affirmative answer given here. And he says, and I mean, his point in that article is that it's part of the church's tradition, that it can be imposed in a parish by a priest who brings it in themselves. But again, when Cardinal Gregory said that, that actually doesn't even correspond to reality anyway. What we know is quite often, if a priest did bring it in, he offered it as one mass option in his community while offering the new form of the mass at all the other times mass was offered in his parish. And what would inevitably happen is that the traditional mass would grow and grow and grow and grow. And people would come from the other masses to that mass. And then he'd start offering multiple times a day of that mass while still offering the new form of the mass. I can't, I do not know of a single diocesan parish where the new form of the liturgy and the new form or where the traditional form of the sacraments, the traditional form of the liturgy completely replaced the post-conciliar forms. I just, I'm not aware of one. If you know of one where that happened, let me know in the comments. And we're not talking about an FSSP parish or Institute Christ the King or any group like that or religious order. We're talking a diocesan priest at a diocesan parish where he eventually replaced every single quote, ordinary form of the mass and sacraments with their so-called extraordinary form counterparts. But yeah, Cardinal Gregory <laughs> is Cardinal Gregory is quite the character. And um, apparently he's been blocking people on Twitter for disagreeing with him. So remember what he's let's talk here about the development of, of tradition here. So we go back to that SSPX article. So he says this development of the faith of Christian virtues of the life of tradition does not apply to the church taken in her totality and affect neither the sources of the spiritual life, nor in the case of, the holiness of the most saintly among the Catholics, nor number of the saints, can one establish a spiritual development. Let us first consider the sources of this life of tradition. These sources do not increase, do not change. The church possesses from her inception the seven sacraments. No one can add an eighth sacrament as the charismatics do with their laying on of hands. No one can suppress one or another of the sacraments as the modernists do, as for example, in the case of the confirmation or of penance. The sources of holiness are always the same. They're always as plentiful. One has only to drink at them. Two, can there be an evolution in the model of holiness? No, there is no development. The model of sanctity no longer evolves because the form of all perfection is our Lord Jesus Christ, as it states in the ritual for the taking of the habit by religious sisters. Though saints may appear different, they are the only variations on the same theme. Different arrangements of the same flowers of the same bouquet, as St. Francis de Sales explains. Thus, the code of the sanctity of the church does not change, just as the code of morality does not change. This is of equal value for all times. To wish to establish a new religious life in the 20th century is an illusion. It is an error. Opus Dei, with that which, which could be its motto, work, commitment, influence, is a very example of this illusion. As an aside, the SSPX have never been fans of Opus Dei. That's a subject for another time. <laughs> Perhaps you could object, quote, but nevertheless, in the degree of sanctity, there is a development in the church. In the 20th century, the saints are much more holy than before. There's some great saints in the 20th century. To which they respond, count them on the fingers of one hand. Martyrs have been canonized, it is true. St. Pius X was canonized, it is true. But that was before the council. Padre Pio is just before the council. After the council, does one find saints? 
Surely there will always be some of them, but they are few indeed, and I promise that they are not of the conciliar church. We are far from progress. In fact, there is a regression. However, let us admit that an increase in sanctity in the church over time is not necessary. However, let us admit that increase in sanctity in the church over time. Yeah, see, there's a typo here. God raises up the saints as he wishes, when he wishes, to lift the level of each century. But one does not observe that one century regularly produces more great saints than the preceding century. We do not have this imaginary progress in which the modernists believe. Let us then refute the ideas of the pseudo-progress. In spite of everything, there is this immutable tradition, an admirable capacity for application to all contingent circumstances. It is a matter of applying the eternal and, and unchangeable principles to the problems and necessities of each century. The Council of Nicaea is not the same as the Council of Florence. The Council of Florence is not the same as the Council of Trent. The Council of the Trent is not the same as the First Vatican Council. In each, there is a different application, but the principles were always the same. Hence, we see here that there is a vitality to tradition in that it is capable of applying itself to each era. Let's pause. The tradition doesn't change. Its application does. But the teaching remains the same. The truth remains the same. It's just expressed possibly in, in different ways without fundamentally changing the truth until recently. Tradition is alive in that it applies itself above all to struggling against the errors of each era, against the dangers in which threaten the souls of each century. It was of this that Pope Pius IX was speaking in Gravesimus Inter, which I believe I have on my channel in full. Quote, the church, because of her divine institution, must take the greatest care to keep intact and inviolate the deposit of the divine faith, keep unceasing watch over all her efforts for the salvation of souls, pay greater attention to driving away and eliminating everything which can be opposed to the faith and can put in danger, in one way or another, the salvation of souls. Doctrine has this marvelous faculty of application, to condemn, to eliminate, to reject everything that opposes the faith and salvation of souls. End quote. And it's in that last bit where you can find the justification for the church taking on issues in the secular world about material problems uh, beyond, of course, the mandate our Lord gave us to feed the poor, house the needy, all those sorts of things that the church can put a great deal of effort into those works because those can cause people stumbling blocks to their salvation. Yeah. Marine says, Gregory admitted that after some more pontificum, Latin mass began growing in his diocese, so he pinched it back. Yeah, exactly. And that's the core of this. That was his, that was the giveaway. There was elsewhere, in preparing for this, I had read that one of the critics, or one of, uh, well, Paul VI, as quoted by one of his critics, said after the council that the reason that they had to suppress the Latin mass informally, because they never formally did, the reason they did it informally was because if they did not do it, then everything they'd gained through Vatican II would actually fail. And that goes back to something Francis himself said, repeated by Cardinal Roach, that the ecclesiology of the traditional mass and the ecclesiology of, or the theology of the traditional mass and the theology of the so-called ordinary form are not compatible in the same church. They're not. That the traditional mass does not reflect the theology of the modernists. And so that's why they got rid of it. Whereas the theology of the new mass does. He has said that. And that's when we began to be aware that they were openly admitting to promoting a new religion in the church. Curious what you all have to say about this. Went a little longer than normal. So we are seeing how our hosts liked this. So far, so okay. Um, <laughs> and yes, traditional Catholic says, TC stated its intention was to fold treads back into the ordinary form. 
Exactly. They, we are treated as if we don't have the faith. It's something to be resisted. Um, I'm curious what though, again, give me any final comments, any final questions. This would be a good time to mention them in the chat. Um, remember, go to Mass today. Um, prayers for people in uh, Alabama and Tennessee. They had some really, really not great weather last night. So prayers for them. Yeah, I was watching some of that on one of the weather channels I follow on YouTube here. The Ryan Hall Y'all channel is probably the best weather channel I've ever seen. So go check that out if you don't know what I'm talking about. But uh, please keep them in your prayers as well as Dory, who was in our chat earlier. Damien said that the ordinary form eventually went away at the parish he attended as the TLM grew. Okay, so there are examples of that. Okay, fair enough. And I'm, I'm not surprised <laughs> in hindsight. Um, but um, Jack Carey asked, what do you do in the churches and schism with the faith? Um, this is where the this is where the parallel churches idea comes from. The ape of the churches, I call it. Um, can Francis be the head of both at the same time? Logic would say no. I'll leave that de determination up to future theologians. I do get uncomfortable when a lot of laity start declaring that people are or are not in the church. That gets a seems to be a little above my pay grade. Annette does say she's watches Ryan Hall. I I know it's weird giving a weather guy a shout out, but <laughs> um. I, I became a pretty big fan of his work right after the uh, the storms we went through here in Shawnee because he, apparently he had been live streaming during that and raising money to send to town with his uh, with his nonprofit not uh, first response crew who came by in our town and was helping people. So I'm a big fan after having gone through all that. Um, so um, I'm going to wrap this up here. Thanks, folks, for tuning in. I have a good Advent reflection from St. Francis de Sales going live in about 40 minutes on the channel. It'll be part one. I'm going to be covering St. Francis de Sales Advent reflections through Advent and probably into Christmas. Thank you for tuning in today, folks, and may God bless you. <laughs>